I first tell people I, I want somebody who's been in the jungle, not somebody who's just studied the maps. That's right. and, and the other is I want somebody to know, you know, and, and this is a lot of the work that, that we do, that Alan and I do, and, and that Alan focuses on in his work about emotional sobriety is, is that we want to, I want to know you're, you're still in the day that you're, that you're not, you're not naive and you're not delusional and that, you know, you're still in the jungle. It starts right here, deep in your heart. Tom Rutledge and Dr. Alan Berger bring over 90 years of clinical experience to this important podcast, and they offer you a guarantee. You will gain something of personal value from each episode. And now, what matters most. It starts right Welcome back to Start Right Here. I'm Tom Rutledge, and with me is uh, Dr. Alan Berger, my partner in crime, allegedly. Uh-huh. It's, uh, so so uh, how you doing, Alan? I just wondered if that was the FBI at your front door, or <laughs> if they're coming in. To, uh, yes, they're, they'll I, I be here. I think Trump has reported you to the FBI. I can't imagine that somebody from there hasn't as many things as I've, as I've sent him. It's, it's, <laughs> I, ha- I haven't been blocked on, on Twitter by, by Trump, which is, which is something I would love to add to my, my resume, but I have not, that has not happened yet. Well, well speaking uh, of resumes, we have a very important guest today, don't we? We do. We, we, we have Dr. Erica Scott, and uh, I've known about Dr. Scott's work for I don't know how long, but just just through the wonderful thing of social media and kind of followed everything, lots of things that she's done. And uh, when we started t- thinking about t- having guests on the show, she's certainly one of the people that came to my mind right away. Now I'm going to run through what I think is a, a pretty impressive list of of, of her credentials, uh, pro- and probably only some of them here. But it's, it's like I have to actually read. I have to read from this because because. Uh, because I could not possibly memorize it. Now, and, and Dr. Scott, you let me know if, if I'm missing anything here. She, Dr. Scott is a, is a fellow for the International Society of, of the Study of Trauma and Dissociation. Definitely want to dog ear that because I want us to talk about that in terms of what we kind of the stuff you and I talk about, Alan. She's a board certified uh, uh, registered art therapist. I, I also want to talk about that because I have some, I've, I've been impressed with what I've seen of, of her online and what I've read of her uh, publications and want to ask her some questions about that. She is a, um, she is a registered expressive arts therapist, um, which just, I just like the word expressive is fun to have, a, to be sort of part of a registration. I want to be registered as an expressive guy. Uh, inter, uh, internationally certified uh, as an advanced alcohol and drug counselor. So she has mm-hmm. something in common with us. And it's like, uh, and she is uh, licensed in uh, th- three states as a psychotherapist. So have I, have, I hit, have I hit the high points, Erica? Yes, sir. 
Very okay, good well, job. Thank well, you. <laughs> well, reading, babbling is one of my strong suits. Reading off of a piece of paper is not. So that's, okay. that, that's, that's the hardest part of the, the whole thing for me. So okay. we're really, really happy that you're here. And you're also an artist, right? I mean, besides being an art therapist, I mean, you really are. I mean, I've seen some of the stuff, stuff you've done. You really are an amazing artist. Well, thank you. Thank yeah. you. I mean, I don't know how much how much of, of that is your is your is your part of your day job or not. But no, uh, it, not part uh, of my day well, job. Well, if, if people are as people are listening and want to learn more about you, when, as we get to talking about this, I encourage people to look for that too because it's it's uh, it's pretty impressive. Well, thank you. I was an artist before I became a counselor. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I was a writer before I became, you know, I never, I never meant to be a therapist. It's like, this is a complete accident. Same it's, here. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like, I always want to be a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, and publishers were always amazed that I could write because mo- that so many times you probably got this too, Alan is, is when, 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 you, when people who publish self-help books get our manuscripts, they expect them to be no good because a lot of therapists who know a lot of things and are good therapists are not writers. And so, you know, it's, it's, have you gotten that feedback too? That people are surprised that you write? No, definitely. But I'm, I'm so caught by that you also do play therapy. And I so much want to be in the room with you <laughs> and going through those things and picking out the ones that stand out for me. That's oh, you're, talking about, you're talking about the sand tray stuff. Yeah. Right? Oh, sand tray stuff is amazing. Yeah, yeah, let's Look at all those wonderful little feet. Yeah, I'll turn the... I mean, I just want to go play for a while. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's not technically play therapy, although it's a first cousin. Um, And I only work with adults. So I have some figurines that are R rated, X rated, that would not be appropriate for a collection for children. Yeah, but look at Alan starting to look around. I mean, Uh I was was looking for that X rated one. (laughs) (laughs) that out, Erica. Come on, point it out to us. Uh, I have a, I have a client, a, a client therapist is a client of mine who just recently began, uh, or, or re, within the last year began to do sand tray stuff, and it, it, I have become fascinated by his fascination with it because, it's and, and he'll he'll show me pictures of some of these things that people mm-hmm. do, and it's it's and you really just let. And I, I bet you this has a lot to do with the whole, everything about your work that's artistic. Maybe this is a mm-hmm. way to get into this. It's like, the thing I find when I'm talking to this fellow about this is I, I go like, wow, I think the hardest part for me would be to give, give people a little bit of direction, just a minimal direction, and then step back and let them do their thing. That's what you do. Because that's what you do when you're doing what you, you well, do, right? It's, explain yeah. the sand tray, because a lot of people have never been exposed to that. And okay. even seen it before. Maybe that would be a good start. That would be great. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as in a way that's common with really good ideas, two women came up with the same theory about the same time. In mm-hmm. two different countries, they didn't know each other. They ended up meeting later in life. And... The idea was to use miniature figurines to have children portray their world. Mm-hmm. One did it on a tabletop, another one did it in miniature little sandboxes. And what they found is, uh, and there, there was a class differential too. One was basically blue collar uh, children of blue collar workers, and the other was from an uh, area that was more um, socioeconomically privileged but they found that the children, when they were allowed to portray their world, 
it, it got better. Mm. And so the, the idea is that it accesses different parts of the brain. It's not just left brain, which is talk therapy, as you know, mm -hmm. but also right brain, but also kinesthetic and dynamic because you move the figurines. Um, we're, there is some research that sand play or sand trait therapy can create uh, neurogenesis, which means new neurons. That's pretty amazing. Now, from a study that was quoted by Dr. Ernest Rossi years ago, after he had a stroke, he said the things that help create new neurons are art, novelty, and beauty. And wow. so in my mind, sand play or sand tray, there's slightly different theories, is very much about that. Uh, so I've used it with people um, and usually they come in Often it's men who are like, oh, you want me to play? You know, I don't really want to do that. Uh, I'm thinking of a case. Men are idiots, yeah. Well, I'm thinking of a case where um, a man had failed treatment 15 times. Mm -hmm. And I just said, well, why don't you do a tray about the consequences of your addiction? And so there were ambulances, hospitals, turned over cars, bottles, pills. I have pills. I have everything. I have the whole, <laughs> everything, um, disappointed looking people, judgmental. And he stood back and he said, I had no idea. He said, my tray is so chaotic. And I said, how about your life? Is your, is your life chaotic? It's like, mm -hmm. oh, yeah. And he got sober for the longest period of time ever uh, because that seemed to get through the defenses and the denial. Some people have to see it. They can't just talk about it. They don't have the capacity to imagine or picture the consequences of their life. And it doesn't become real until they see it and feel it. I mean, you know that probably. On some well, no, it, it, what was great about that is that he confronted himself. Exactly. Right. He created a situation where he could confront himself. So much more powerful. Right. Instead of somebody else, you know, the difference between internal control and external control. Exactly. You know? Exactly. And then I can stand and bear witness and align with the client without having to confront them all the time. So because sometimes we do have to confront lovingly our clients or at least present how we see things things differently than they do. So you're right. You that Ellen, you're right. Exactly right about that. Yeah. But I but I but you know what immediately I'm looking for the other the common common commonalities. One one of the things is, you know, that old Chinese proverb of what I what I hear I forget, what I see I remember, and what I do I understand. And it's that part of that is true. And this in you know I'm saying and it's a different different way of doing it, a different modality but you know in, in a similar way alan when we pull those chairs out when we i don't care if i say let's let this box of kleenex represent that part of you Absolutely. whatever that happens to be is is and that's that's one of the things that that again i find that we already that we have in common with with you erica is that that uh we've, I think I speak for Alan when I say this, we, we've learned that you, you don't have to be in power struggles with clients. 
you know, and, and I, and I, and I finally got to the place where I was able to say, you don't ever have to be in a, in a power struggle with a client. And if you are, you're making a mistake. Yeah. It's not the client's mistake. It's, it's like, it's, it's our mistake. And, and I wrote down that sentence, which is, which is exactly the part where you were responding to Alan, which I think I just love great sentences. My tray is so chaotic. The guy said, mm -hmm. my, you know, still, he still got it. He, he still got it distant a little bit there. Mm -hmm. and, he, you, and you just ask a question for he, for him to actually put that together. So the, you know, to him, the brilliance, you know, of you is, 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 wow. How'd she do that magic trick? I've seen one tray change someone's life. Now, obviously that doesn't happen every week, but um, I've seen one tray motivate people to become engaged in therapy and realize the work they needed to do to get better and become uh, more proactive versus the victim of their circumstance. They, they see the work that they need to do. Um, well, I have permission to talk about this. I've published about it, but a man who was a prison guard had um, performed CPR to about 12, 14 different prisoners who had either attempted suicide or had heart attacks. And it wasn't his job. He volunteered. In fact, he said he would kind of muscle his way in. And it was very traumatizing. And the reason that was behind his push to do that was kind of a classic Freudian reenactment of a trauma. His firstborn son had died of SIDS. And he, he, by wow. the time he found his baby, it was too late. His baby was blue and cold and there wasn't a way to resuscitate his child. And so he became compulsive about trying to resuscitate people near death. Um, but CPR is not always pleasant and people don't always survive. And sometimes he would be told to keep doing it until the ambulance came and that'd be 30, 40 minutes to more than an hour. So he was very traumatized by the time he came in. Um, I joke, I, I sometimes see people and the symbols almost. And when he uh, came, normally they never would put someone in my group in the middle of group at Sierra Tucson. I think they weren't sure what to do with them. And they opened the door and brought him in the room. And it, he looked like a dragon breathing fire. He was so angry. And I thought, oof right now in the middle of group hello welcome <laughs> yeah <clears throat> yeah right and he so. and, and there he was and there you were so you and he did well yeah he did that tray and he said mm -hmm. this is what he said he said uh he saw his baby in the crib the alcohol bottles his angry wife the people on the ground from CPR and the food that they would vomit sometimes mm -hmm. and the casket. And he looked back and forth and the tray's designed to be a certain width and a certain depth so that you can have a gestalt view, the whole view of the tray all at once without moving your head very much, if at all. Mm -hmm. And he said, I have to deal with my trauma because it's killing me and I want my family back. And that was it. He was off and running. Beautiful. That is beautiful. He's just, it's just, <clears throat> he, need, he, he, needed to, he needed to put it out there, create it, show it, mm 
Mm-hmm. Witnesses, witnesses are important. It's to do to, so much of what we do is about witnessing. Absolutely, bearing witness, and we need to do things like this: art, music, dance, poetry, whatever. Because um, I don't care how. I mean, you guys sound like you have a really good codependency recovery, but I don't care how great your recovery is after twenty, thirty. For me, thirty-six, going on thirty-seven years. You carry carry it with you, and so therapists need to have their own process. As oh, well. absolutely! It's it's like I always tell people. I, want, I first tell people I, I want somebody who's been in the jungle, not somebody who's just studied the maps. That's and, right. and, and the other is I want somebody to know, you know. And and this is a lot of the work that that we do, that Alan and I do, and and that Alan focuses on in his work about emotional sobriety is, is that we want I want to know you're you're still in the that you're that you're not you're not naive and you're not delusional and that you know you're still in the jungle. Mm-hmm. You know that that being because that whether you just because codependent I think that codependency recovery and that emotional sobriety stuff that Alan that you're working on and um and he has a new book coming out about it uh that, that I'm I'm actually reading some of that right now and it's a wonderful by the way it's a wonderful book Alan I haven't I haven't uh, responded to you yet about about that but it's wonderful and it's like it is but the thing you guys as you're talking about Erica that has in common is we understand it's all about it is synonymous with living. It's like, yeah. it's just part of, you know, I always think about the first step of AA the, and the manageability is living your life. You're managing your mm-hmm. life. That's what we do. It's mm-hmm. like, it's not, you know, it's at any given moment, it's not manageable or unmanageable once, if we're taking care of ourselves, right. we're in the process of managing. Mm-hmm. Or flowing. Mm-hmm. Or being stuck and needing to get <laughs> unstuck. <laughs> And this has been the year of stock, hasn't it? Yeah, but what's been, but it's also been the people, I call it the involuntary COVID uh, uh, values clarification retreat. And it's like, people have really been learning during this time. I I, I think one of the the battle cries we need to have is for ourselves and as professional people helpers is, is don't forget what you're learning. Because, you know, that's one of the things that people do, that we do very well. And that is we forget. Yeah. But we have a very short term memory. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, go back to what you said about so many of us in the field get, you know, lose ourselves sometimes in the work we do with clients. I love what Carl Whitaker said about this. <laughs> uh, he was one of I uh, like Carl Whitaker. Carl Whitaker's work. And he, said, he said, he says, it's very important for us. Well, first of all, he said it's something that I've always took to heart. He says, you know, therapy is best described as two anxious people getting together. <laughs> Hopefully, the, the therapist is a little less anxious than the client. <laughs> First, I love that one. I mean, I think that that's right. that leveling thing, right? But then he went on to say, he says, you know, therapy is, is that it, the therapist is, resp- and he says, it's important for the therapist to remember, you're important for the, th- you're, you're responsible for the therapy, but you're not responsible for your patient's life. Very nice. You know, you're responsible for mm-hmm. the therapy, but not for your patients' lives. And so many new therapists, and even mm-hmm. some people have even old been around, that mm-hmm. boundary gets blurred. Mm-hmm. It does. It gets so blurred at times. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking One, if the therapist isn't less anxious than the client, hopefully they're able to connect and attach in a way where they help. I'm thinking of gorgeous 
resource. They help each other regulate. Their connection helps both regulate better. Well, but part part of what we're tracking when we're with that client too is is the the by definition previously unknown chemistry of not only that relationship but of that of that conversation. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is to me one of the reasons that I that I tend to think that I've learned enough to go. What, what you know, Erica's going to come on the podcast. What are you going to talk about? It's like I don't, I don't know. You know, we have we can have some ideas, and it's a good. It always makes me feel me a little, a little bit less anxious if I have ideas to back it up, just in just in case. Mm-hmm. You know, like I ran out of things to say. Now pause for Patrick and, and Alan to laugh that I would run out of things to say. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, never happened. It's, that, uh, are you from Tennessee originally? I'm from no, I'm from Texas. Oh. Okay. Yes. yes. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm obligated from as being from Texas to say that you are, uh, yeah, I was I, born, I, I was born in Texas too. Where? Dallas. Oh, Dallas. I, well, I grew up in Plainview, Texas. Okay. Uh, it's kind of, kind of the West Texas, not so great, but I went to, I went to, I went to school near, near Dallas and, and lived mm-hmm. uh, some of my life there. But, uh, but well, you know that, that you know, when you're, you have to sign all that paperwork that says you'll always forever define yourself as a Texan. And carry uh, what is it? Wire clippers in your back pocket? Yes, I've never heard that one. I, <laughs> I <used to> wear <laughs> clippers for wrestling, um, so you can wrestle, wrestle oh, cattle. So you can get wrestle cattle. There you go. I, I missed that part. Yeah, you know, I was a law. I was a law-abiding citizen, unlike you, clearly, Eric. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, but 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 go, going back to this, it's it's like. That's one of the things, and I mean, and I start saying you can't teach it, but I guess you can teach things about it. But, but it's it's like I don't know why this one pops into my mind, but but it, I, there's a dynamic that has happened to me through the many years I've been doing this work, and 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 the way I would describe it in brief is is and I'd be interested in your take on this, Erica. Is 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 that earlier in my career I would get if I felt lost in a session. And I would begin to, to feel like I didn't know what was going on. I couldn't, couldn't track and stuff like that. I would, because I was extremely uh, self-critical, self-condemning. And so I would just beat the holy crap out of myself <laughs> after that session. The session would be as far, you know, as is often the case, the session would be fine for the client. But it's like, for me, I would beat the hell out of myself. But fast forward many years, maybe decades, it's like, it's like, I've now realized, I, I recognize if I find myself lost and confused in a session, that what's happening for me is I'm, is, is just, I don't want to say it otherwise, just psychically, I've got, I'm actually closed in enough to where I'm somehow experiencing just a, you know, sort of the tip of the iceberg of something that that client is experiencing. And if, if, if I, and if I start, if I start to, to describe, if I'll, sometimes if I know the person pretty well, I'll just mm-hmm. like, let me describe something to you and I'll describe it in more almost always so far. It's like, they'll go. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. it. And so what I've realized is, is to, again, it's a little, uh, you know, I'm mixing our metaphors here, but it's like, it's a little bit like you're talking about, about keeping that whole sand tray in, in, in your field of vision, you know, keep, keep the big picture in mind. Mm-hmm. And the fun, one of the fun parts about, about doing this work is that part that part of the creativity of like something's happening here let's explore it together and find out what it is well, well a word comes to my mind I'm, I'm a big fan of dr uh, irv polster who was the clinical director of the gestalt institute in san diego and he says he says a very important component of good psychotherapy is that the therapist helps the client portray their life. 
and mm-hmm. there's a portrayal in your sandra is what absolutely you're see a person gets to look at it and that's what he says he says i don't change anyone mm-hmm. what i do is really help them become aware he promotes an awareness mm-hmm. of their life through that portrayal mm-hmm. and, and, and- I- yeah. Excuse me, I'd like to oh. jump in. And, and that could be the external life and the internal life. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. To portray their life. It's my, fa- my favorite book of his, of his is, is, is uh, Every Person's Life is Worth a Novel. Is, 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 I, I, and I, 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 like, I love the book. It's a long time I read it, but I love the title as much as I love the book. I, I mean, that, that, talk about a title that just has so much mm-hmm. to say. Every Person's Life is Worth a Novel. It's, it's mm-hmm. like, it's just, I mean, talk about, talk about, you know, and that is, you know, our interest, we can get interested in people's lives and, we can reignite their interest in their own life. Yep. Yeah. I think, look, yeah, go, oh, go ahead. I, I think what you were saying about sometimes we feel the client's experience and I mm. believe that's true. That's part of being intuitive and mm. empathetic and embodied, but we really have to know ourselves. We have to know our own levels of anxiety, shame, anger, yep. and we need to understand, um, the level and our triggers. So we have to know our own history, our own story, yeah. our own life, inner and outer life. Um, an example I have is I had a client return to therapy after several years um, without therapy. She had terminated appropriately. She was doing well and she came back. I had no shame about her coming back. I was thrilled she was coming back. She was a delightful mm-hmm. client. And I walked in the room to greet her and all of a sudden my stomach hurt. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I was like, oh, and it was like sudden. And I sat there with it for a minute. I was actually standing, but in my mind. And I looked at her and I said, you know, I was feeling fine. I walked in the room and now my stomach hurts. And I'm, I'm just wondering, are, are, is there any chance you're feeling shame about coming back to therapy? And she burst into tears, <laughs> burst into tears. And, and part of how that could happen was that I knew it wasn't mine. Yeah. I knew it wasn't mine. And yet I think we also have to own what is ours so the client doesn't feel it. Because <laughs> we don't want them doing therapy about our inner work that we're disowning. Uh, well, unless they're unless they're going to do a better job than I would, I mean, you know, if, if, if I can get somebody to do it for me, I, you know, I'll do it anytime. It doesn't help them or you. <laughs> oh um, yeah, that. So <laughs> I, I I would like to talk a little bit about my art experientials that I offer because yes. I think it answers one of the questions about what do you do when you don't know what to do. Um, so I. After the fires, the Woosley fires, uh, I don't know if you know, we had the fires here in Malibu two years ago Mm -hmm. and over 450 homes burned to the ground in our small town, very small town. That's a lot of homes that didn't just burn, burned to the ground. Mm -hmm. And our community was devastated. I held a free workshop, art workshop, to have people make art with what they found in the ash. Now, I'm so used to having people do this kind of art that cuts right to the bone and to the core of things that it wasn't until 
people I knew walked in that I did not know they had lost their homes uh, with shards. That's all they had left. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we made beautiful art. It was very moving. Um, so we, we had that tragedy. It affected all of us. I didn't lose material things. And yet it had its impact. It had its impact on all of us. So it was a community tragedy. Yeah. So one of the things I've always wanted to do and have done before, I used to design art experientials for kids, for museums. I... I, I did that before I became a therapist. I used to design art exhibits for kids. So I have wanted for a while to do creative arts intensives, creative art, expressive arts, writing, journaling, poetry, writing, clay, painting, sculpting, you name it. Uh, we even make mandalas on the beach. Mm -hmm. And so I started offering that in 2019 and I'll tell you, it's the favorite thing I've ever done in my life. Yeah, really. So people come in for a minimum of two days back to back. It's really important because you understand when people are doing something intense, there needs to be a, a buildup of intensity. Mm -hmm. So we work from one to five, which is my optimal time. It just seems to be the time where I'm most intuitive, most grounded, like in my element. They come to my tiny office um, here in Malibu on Point Doom. They usually stay in a hotel. And so, of course, we do intake. I gather some history. I talk a little bit about um, the processes. I demonstrate. And then we start. We start often with a sand tray or painting a mandala or um, what you can't see is that way. Uh, on the wall is butcher block paper. Sorry, you can't move mm, far enough to I'm see. I'm trying it. to see it. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> if my office was neater over there, I would turn my camera so you could see it. But I have butcher block paper mounted on the ceiling, so I can just pull it down so people can stand and paint on the wall. And of course, we do life size body silhouettes, which I call life size. Um, uh, silhouette mandalas but we also just paint abstracts sometimes people who have no art background will paint an abstract three by six feet it's huge yep. and I love the big painting because as you know an infant their first gestures are gross movements mm -hmm. like little babies their arms flail mm -hmm. and then as uh we grow and mature, then more fine motor. So you begin to write when you're in first grade or before. So I move people through a very intimate, very personal journey of their history, of their blocks, of the problems that show, have shown up over and over. Uh, we work it from issues of attachment, development, addiction, I don't think anyone comes to see me that doesn't have an addiction of some sort. Uh, compulsivity, if not addiction, is so rampant in our society. And just lovingly kind of move people from process to process. So if the client gets stuck, then 
I might move them to another process that accesses another part of the brain. So one thing I use that I really enjoy are um, line contour self-portraits. I published an article about this in The Sober World. And it's an old art technique. Um, Picasso used it, Rodin used it. Uh, it's where Rodin used to draw under a table so he couldn't see the paper while he was drawing sketches of his models. And I, when I first learned it, I spoke with a, um, a neuropsychologist and I said, I think that when you draw without looking at the paper, that's why it's called blind contour self-portraits, mm -hmm. and you stare in the mirror, I think it forces you to cross your corpus callosum back and forth, which is like an internal EMDR, bilateral processing. Mm -hmm. and, the, and a lot of art processes mm -hmm. inherently have a bilateral processing element. And he said, you're absolutely right. Now, what I have also learned is that the corpus callosum is often damaged when there's childhood trauma. You know how many of our clients are adult children of alcoholics or mental illness or poverty or chaos or violence. And so the corpus callosum that connects both sides of your brain is damaged in early childhood. And this is the good news. Using your corpus callosum heals it. Isn't that cool? That's cool. And so with sand plague causing neurogenesis, new neurons, we all want new neurons, by the way, all of us. And then the different processes actually healing the parts of the brain that are impacted, specifically our population. It's really important. And then the other is working with how people dissociate. And so, the dissociation can be a numbing, a physical numbing. It can be um, issues of memory, but to be diagnosed, it's more issues of memory and identity. And not everybody has the identity confusion piece, but we work with all that in a very right. gentle, non-diagnostic way where people can move into Oh, this state of self. So what I say is we all have states of self. And if you had a loving family and you integrated your family, we all have kind of like the inner mom, dad, siblings, then your inner dynamic world is more kind and loving the way your family was. Mm -hmm. But if you had a violent, chaotic, alcoholic family that was judgmental and blaming and you integrate your family system inside yourself, guess what you've got? you need family therapy inside of yourself. And so we do that as well. Um, so one woman came and she flew across the country, probably not the only client I've had three different referrals for, three referrals for one client. Mm -hmm. And she sat down in my office and she said vehemently, almost the first thing she said is, I hate art therapy. And I was like, well, how let's, did you sign up for it? Let's, let's be clear about this. I, yeah. I, I hate this thing I signed up for. How did you sign <laughs> up for it? And so we did the intro day. We did writing, painting, sculpting, sand play. Mm -hmm. And then the next morning, without being prompted by me, 
She wrote the first gratitude list of her entire life, mm -hmm. 30 items on the list. And then she came in and no surprise, the second day she started to get mad at me. That's mm -hmm. not a surprise. I felt it, mm -hmm. it was coming my direction. And normally I would not have someone paint their anger right on their body map. Normally I wouldn't do that. Mm -hmm. But in this case, it just felt appropriate. And I said, I want you to paint your anger. And she goes, on my body map? I said, yep, that's where it started. <laughs> yep. So she painted this explosion of uh, judgmental names that she had been called, that she called herself. And it was red and black and yellow. And like, it was just, it, it, it was almost as if she attacked her body map, the symbol of herself, with a knife instead of a paintbrush. Mm -hmm. It was so intense. It was, it was violent, yeah. It really was. Yeah. And I, I had her stand back and I said, I just want you to look at it. So I don't do interpretation or analysis because that's so idiosyncratic. And I said, I just want you to feel it and sense it and experience it. And I was sitting in this chair right here mm -hmm. facing toward her she was standing and she turned down and looked at me and she said, for the first time in my life, I'm all here. Mm -hmm. wow. I've got insights and they're mine <laughs> and I'm not giving them away. That's she's word not, for word what she said. She's not, she's, yeah, she's, she, she's, you, she, she, she's letting herself be who she is. Absolutely. That's wonderful. I still have goosebumps. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, how do you, I, I think, it, it, I couldn't make someone say that. And it's really the process of letting people mm -hmm. have the process with total integrity and authenticity, staying mm -hmm. out of their way and not yeah. getting frightened or controlling and not interfering and not getting my ego involved. Like, oh, this mm -hmm. means that, mm -hmm. and that mm -hmm. means this. Because I have no idea. Right. I mean, I have some ideas, but it's. Right, right. I never, I never interpret things for people unless they get it wrong. And then I explain it to them why they're wrong. But, but other than that, but, but the idea, you know, and, and seriously, that one of the things that's clear, is clear to me that you're very, uh, you're, you're just, your being is very good at is, is just holding that space, as they say, you know, just really being present and, and, and being that. And the other thing I want to back up just for a second and say, because I think this is also one of those things that has a, has an application in all for people who are listening, who are, who are not doing this or that, or one kind of therapy or another, but there's something you said a bit ago that, that is so important. And that is uh, you said when you, they come to your, your uh, uh, intensives, they, you know, they're going to come for at least two days in a row. It's, it's like mm -hmm. now, so two that's just, that, that's, that, that's the way they're going to do that. But, but the, but the, what I extracted from that was the concept of to, to be able to understand that we're going to go into this and we're going to stay in it. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's one of the, it's one of the reasons that sometimes these week long programs that we used to do, mm -hmm. you know, are, are really mm -hmm. amazing, but you don't have to, you don't have to, you know, when you're doing an hour and a half therapy session, I got to, you know, we got to zip everything back up, you know, even and you have to gonna, go home. Yeah. Even though we're going to reopen the incision next week, mm -hmm. it's like, we, we need to do this. It's like, so, but, but even when you're doing the week, the week to week therapy, the idea, I try to, I try to paint this picture for people to, I never realized I, I've used that phrase before paint the picture, but it's like, like that 
you know, we're having a conversation that is just arbitrarily broken off into the, these little segments. Right. And, it, and, I, and I think that, that that idea to see this and actually Alan and I have talked about this because because I see this podcast as that is, is mm-hmm. that this is just one conversation that Alan and I have. And it's like, we just go wherever it takes us. And now we're beginning to bring people in and, mm-hmm. and join us into the conversation. And, and it's, it's, um, I just think that understanding this is, is rather than, okay, how did I do with that therapy session or how did I do with this or that, but to be able to, to get a broader scope. And I keep coming back to that. I, I, I had not heard that, that idea of the, 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 the dimensions of the sand tray are such that you can see it without moving your head. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like, I love that. And, and I just, you know, and I'm, and I have to go to metaphors anonymous soon, but, but it's like, <laughs> it just becomes one of my favorites. It's like, because that's, uh-huh. that's what we're trying to do. We're trying, we, we want to be able to, we got to go in and get the details sometimes, but we got to come back and home base needs to be where we can see this. And what I, I tell my clients is this is an investigation. You know, yeah. we're, we're investigating together about all of this stuff and we're going to discover all kinds of stuff. And I may come up with it. You may come up with it, but we'll, you know, we'll come up with it together, but it's all dependent upon staying in That's the process. Right. So uh, there are advantages of weekly therapy because it's useful for clients to learn how to open up what is enough and how to close things back down good, and good do point. life. The mm-hmm. other, the, but the problem with weekly therapy is that it compartmentalizes uh, the process and compartmentalization is part of the whole problem <laughs> that we're trying to address. Right. Someone's laughing. I heard someone giggle. Me, I'm laughing. Okay. That's, that's, yeah. the, the laughing the, that's the laugh, that laughter of, of, of oh, recognition. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, got and it. The, and so the, the, the grief I have around COVID is that I feel we need more connection, more face-to-face energy sharing, more time. So when people come to my office, I it sounds corny, but I do have a lit candle. I do serve tea. I serve refreshments. It's an invitation to have some grace and uh Tennessee, you know, Southern manners. <laughs> I'm, my family from Tennessee too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and time mm-hmm. because we rush so much all the time. I have, I have friends sometimes they're, they have to work hard and 24 seven and they call and they're talking so fast. I say, okay, try to, try to breathe, mm-hmm. you know, like, but we're all going so many different directions. So uh, if someone does come to my office now during COVID for a retreat, I do ask them to get a COVID test the day before. And there's a very easy way to do that here in Malibu and they charge your insurance. So, um, and I get a new test. Um, So because as we know, if you spend more than 15 minutes together with even with a mask on and you're inside, you still have a high risk for uh, contagion. And so it's not perfect, but it's a system to reduce the risk. Mm-hmm. And, and so far, no one's complained about yeah. it. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's what I tell people. I said, said, you know, you know how they te- teach you how you catch catch COVID. That's what I do for a living. You know, I, I, I sit in a room with somebody for an hour and a half and right. and spit on them, and they spit on me, and, and that's that stuff. So we that's why right. we're being really careful. Are are you wearing? Uh, no, I don't. I haven't. Seen, I haven't seen a client since March. Okay. Uh, in there person, I've been. No, I love. I, I love my. I love my my Zoom. Mm-hmm. Um, you know because uh, yeah, but uh, but I but I so much respect people who are doing everything, you know, and, and because people, the one of the things, a little off the subject maybe, but one of the things that gets on my last nerve about this is is people. It's 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 maybe it's not off the subject. One of the things we can do is we make ourselves the exception to the rule, you know. It's like we we're able to. We see this through the holidays, you know. Well, you know, I bet you that we could because of this, or I have a I have a friend who's a really smart person. And it's like, but she says she says, oh no, I think I think uh, I think we're good. We're okay. We can get together. We're okay. And I trust you. I'm going like, I don't think that has anything to do with it. Right. But she means it entirely. She's, I mean, I mean, she just, and she just, what she wants is, is she's, she, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I think, I think I am registered as something. I'm a registered introvert. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's like, so, so I'm one of the people that basically they say, don't, don't see anybody. And I go, okay. Yeah. And, uh, and then go take my dog for a walk. It's, it's like, yeah. but this woman is, is not, she's, and I understand that. It's, it's like, she's, she just misses people and gatherings mm-hmm. and things like that so much and we just have to be aware that our how our mind we can play little tricks yeah. on ourselves I, I think now i don't maybe we don't have a corner on the market but as a recovering addict i think i'm particularly tuned into to how i how i can fuck myself over mm-hmm. so you know and how i can how i can can con myself yeah. easily so i'm right. so i'm a little bit more attuned to that when i start to yeah. hear that happening it doesn't have to have to do anything with alcohol or drugs i i'm going like wait a minute you know, my con man is working again. Yeah, I do not see weekly clients anymore in my office. Mm-hmm. It's just that is way too risky. Um, yeah. So, yeah. But you got to miss doing the sand tray thing because that that has to, you have to, you, you can't do sand, can you do sand tray on Zoom, can you? Mm-mm. It's like, yeah, that's like my wife is an equine therapist. You know, mm-hmm. the horses are not very cooperative mm-hmm. with the whole Zoom thing. No, but... <laughs> And I can like on with talk therapy, I, I, I can ask people to do assignments on their own time and uh, and then present them to me. So people mm-hmm. will take pictures of what they're doing and send them to me. Yeah, I, I've been I've been I've been really pleasantly surprised to, to figure out ways that you really can do experiential therapy on Zoom. It's, and, it's, and it's really, really nice. Mm-hmm. And and it's because it's, at first I was thinking, oh, that's just out the window. But it's, it's not mm-hmm. at all. It just it mm-hmm. just calls on us to be more creative. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Listen, before we wrap today, you know, one of the questions I have for you, Erica, which I think would um, be quite um interesting for a lot of the people that tune into us is what do you see as the process when someone's working with their trauma? Like what, what, what do you see typically that happens as somebody starts to digest that experience? And, and when you, when you see it resolve, well, what does that look Mm -hmm. like? Wow. Okay. Well, there is not one answer for everyone. That means, as you know, different things for different people, I'll speak to my own life. Um, I started going to uh, CODA and Al-Anon when I was about 30. So about five years ago? 
about uh, about 36 years ago. Oh. I started going about a year before I became a therapist. Wow. Um, and a, a, a crisis woke me up to um, that there was something going on. I'm going to tell a dramatic story. It'll shock you. Um, so I didn't use drugs. I was scared of them. But twice I got involved with drug dealers. The first one was a man I had known since I was five. So a year after we broke up, we had lunch because I knew his whole family and we'd known each other forever. And he said, do you know why uh, we broke up? And I said, no. And he said, I was, I was dealing cocaine. And I, I, you could have knocked me over with a feather. I was so stunned. But everything made sense. His jitteriness, his too much money for our age. He had way too much money for our age. Um, his grandiosity, uh, fast talking, uh, oh, yeah. not reliable, but right. Um, now he'd always been a little like that, even when I was five. <laughs> but um, but it was over the top. So he gave me a humongous gift, and that gift. I think saved my life. So about five years later, I became involved with a man and guess what? He was a fast talker, he had too much money and then he didn't have any money and then he had too much money and then he was unreliable. And it's one thing to ask or talk with your friend that you've known since you were five about that he might be a drug dealer it's another to ask a man who has no connection like that with you and so naively I said is there any chance you're dealing drugs <laughs> and um I, I saw in his face that my life was in danger oh. and I made an excuse to exit and within about two weeks, I went to the Meadows for trauma. Mm -hmm. And at the time they were, Pia Melody was there, but they really didn't have an official program. Mm -hmm. And so when I applied or called, he's like, well, you're not really appropriate for here because I didn't have a substance abuse pro problem. And I said, well, where do I go? He was so quiet. And he said, come here. Mm -hmm. And I'm to this day so grateful. Mm -hmm. So there have been many layers of my healing from trauma, but one of them was insight and awareness of the family secrets. So I felt mm -hmm. more grounded. Mm -hmm. And one thing that happened at the Meadows, I heard a lecture about reenactment of family secrets. Mm -hmm. And I said to my therapist, who God bless her heart, wasn't all that bright. I said, okay, it does not make sense. I'm teaching college. I have a master's degree. I'm not stupid. How did I do this twice? It would make sense if I was using drugs, but I wasn't. And I said, could it be reenactment? I wonder if my dad was a drug dealer. She was like, no way, no way. You're just coming up. She, I think she thought I was using drugs and making up an excuse. I said, I want to call my brother. She said, no. I said, I'm calling my brother. You can listen or not. 
but I'm calling my brother. So she sat in on the conversation. So I call my brother. He knew both men. I told him about the lecture. And then I said, Tom, is there any chance dad was dealing drugs? And my brother said, where have you been? <laughs> where have you been? Now, in my defense, my brother lived with my father much more than I did growing up. But the minute he said it, it was like a Rolodex or a slideshow of things that hadn't made sense. Like when I would walk into the garage and he would shuffle papers behind him where I couldn't see them because he was printing illegal scripts for opiates. Yeah. Yeah, you saw you saw your life like the end of the sixth sense with Bruce Willis, where where they take they take about a minute and a half to show you the entire movie again and show you how you missed every single clue. And it's like and they're all there at one time right there. You don't even have to move your head. That's in the sand tray. Yeah. <laughs> and the thing is, I didn't miss the clues. I just didn't know what to make of them. That's right. didn't, didn't everybody was lying to me. Yeah, no, there was no context for that. There was yeah. no yeah. context yeah. for it. And, and, and it's such an interesting, when you say the therapist was saying, no way. See, that's such a mistake. It right? was. I mean, you, you, I see why you said she wasn't very bright. <laughs> I mean, it's like, God, it's like, how can you be so certain that yeah. that didn't happen? Mm -mm. And, and see, that would be so misleading for someone. Who yeah. Could be. But you held on to yourself. What was yes, interesting. I did. You, mm -hmm. you weren't going to let her, you know, mm -hmm. dissuade you from doing what you wanted to do, what you had a calling deep inside to do is to, to find out what the reality was. Why not ask? It didn't hurt to ask him. He could have said, sure. oh, no. Right. Uh, right. I could have. I mean, a, a question's always a good thing to ask. Well, uh, and this is another <laughs> thing for people that are listening. Don't yeah, ever let. A therapist overrides something that you want. If it's right. important to you, hold mm -hmm. on to yourself. Mm -hmm. Just because we have a degree doesn't mean we're right. Just because mm -hmm. we're a counselor doesn't mean that we somehow, you know, hold a crystal ball and really know everything in terms of what's mm -hmm. going on. Don't mm -hmm. lose yourself mm -hmm. in therapy. Right. Because it could be the same thing. And you didn't lose yourself. Mm -hmm. You held on to yourself. Thank you. Yeah. So this is the thing sometimes therapists get into what I call the dark side of positivity or they become too invested in a theory. And if it doesn't fit their theoretical model, well, you're a resistant client. They, they, they dismiss the client's yeah. experience, yeah. Yeah. Um, which is too bad. But um, so for me, what happened is that it was like the blinders were taken off. Yeah. And I felt validated yeah. and more sane and relief. Even though it wasn't good news, I felt relief. Right. Yeah. My, yeah. my, my tray is so chaotic. You know, it's, it's like it's, you just saw something that you had never seen before in the way you've never seen it. You, you, exactly. got, you got aligned with reality in your life. And see, mm -hmm. see that to me, that's mm -hmm. such an important thing. Tom and I, on, on this mm -hmm. Thursday night, Tom's been um, 
alternating with Mary Gordon. We're going through the steps as they relate to emotional sobriety. And it's, yeah. it's very interesting. One of the things we're saying as we talk through these things yeah. is that the steps are really helping you align yourself with reality. Right. The reality of yourself, what your limitations are, where your gaps of knowledge exist, and also the reality of certain things like, I don't have any business putting my expectations on you in terms of how you should behave or what you should do in your life. That's your business, not mine. And so it's very interesting what an important experience that is. Mm-hmm. And, that, and started, that, that was an important part of your recovery. Is what absolutely. Mm-hmm. And it has been invaluable with my clients when they keep acting out in ways that doesn't make sense. Then I, I, I ask myself, could this yeah. be a family secret? Yeah. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. getting played out because the story mm-hmm. will be told. This is what I tell clients. Your secrets, your family's secrets, that story will be told. Your choice is not whether it will be told or not. It's whether you want to tell it here in therapy with art and sand play, or do you want that story to be told in the script of your life? Mm -hmm. That's that's beautiful. Yeah. And it it fits so nicely with what we've been talking about, Tom and I, this, 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 this force that's exists in us that's moving us towards wholeness yes and see and it's it's trans it's it's transgenerational meaning Mm -hmm. that there's this force in a family that's moving now whatever that essence Mm -hmm. is in that family towards completeness and wholeness so you're Mm -hmm. right see that's the way i think about this that reenactment is now it's it's you know Freud called it a repetition compulsion kind yes. of a thing is when well he, he also talked to, that's a little different but he he also spoke about reenactment well he did yeah. the repetition compulsion was that you pick up a certain thing and then you keep doing it but it's like you pick it up from your family right obviously mm-hmm. it, that didn't happen in a context I mean right. so it, I mean in a vacuum it happened in right. the context of your family yes. so oftentimes right is the way I was mm-hmm. thinking about it. But it's very interesting to think of it in this other positive way is that mm-hmm. when you're reenacting it, you mm-hmm. are attempting to find a resolution to it. Yes. Now, you don't have any other tools because of you can only use the tools you had when you were growing up or given in your family and that you picked up while you're in your family. Oh. So it was that moment that you opened up a new possibility yep. and saw something that created a new possibility. Mm-hmm. So once again, it was the portrayal of your life. It was, right? There there it was. Interesting. And the quality of men that I chose immediately became better. Yes. Immediately. They were they were less drug dealery. <laughs> yeah, I, for, for start, there there was a excuse me, but there was a long way to go from that to what I was looking for. But yes, it was uh, it was um, it, it wasn't a minor detail, right? I got it. <laughs> yeah. Mm-mm, mm-mm. So so one is a closer alignment to the truth. For some people, that's more difficult than others. I think. That, as you know, we talk about how important it is to be careful about introducing um, trauma too soon. And yet so many people won't stay sober if trauma isn't addressed in the original treatment for addiction. And they won't stay sober if you don't address the dissociation. 
Right. Right. So I sent a client who was officially dissociative disorder to treatment, Mm -hmm. very famous, very good treatment center Mm -hmm. in the nineties. And she came back from treat and they knew, I'm not sure how much they understood. She came back from treatment and bragged about my addict did not go to one group. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, kind of a waste of treatment Mm -hmm. for you to do that. So I think it's very, very important for mm-hmm. there to be some training about how to uh, work with people who are pretty fragmented Absolutely. and who have ways to check out that we can't see because sometimes they look like the most delightful client. Mm-hmm. They're the most accommodating. They're the most cooperative. They're the most dutiful. Mm-hmm. And they have a whole dialogue and video going on inside that's mm-hmm. totally distracting from what's happening in the real world yeah and they have a they have a busload of people who aren't necessarily coming to therapy uh, so, or so. interested in it mm-hmm. that's right that's mm-hmm. right well erica i cannot thank you enough for doing this this is you this has been so uh, this is i feel like i've been in a a bit of a workshop i've learned some some wonderful things but uh, but uh, but you do not you did not disappoint uh, my expectations that it was going to be fun to talk to you and interesting and and uh and i'm just i love uh you know and i just love finding those places like where what alan's talking about where we, we we just see that how those of us, and I just am fascinated about this, how those of us who are doing this work, we're all, we do it our own, everybody does it their own way because we're all individual people, but there's, there's these common denominators that we have in there. And yes. they always, they always come down to respect. Mm-hmm. They always come down to respecting ourselves and respecting the people that we're working with. And it's right. amazing. So before, okay. before I, before I shut up and turn it over to Alan to, to close this out, Alan, uh, uh, Patrick, did you have fun? That's what I want to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I learned so much today. And, um, you know, uh, I hope that before we sign off, you can let us know, uh, you know, where people can find you, you know, your social media and all that good stuff. Thank you. Thank you so much. I saw you nodding your head, Patrick. So thank you. (laughs) Oh, yeah, it was fascinating. Patrick is totally tuned in. He he gets this. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Alan, Alan says that we're doing, we're actually secretly doing this for, for Patrick. Just, <laughs> we, we just keep, we just keep meeting because we think maybe someday he'll be okay. Oh. You know, we, we hope so. Yeah. This is a lo- long grift to get some free therapy. <laughs> <laughs> it's working. It's working. Any way you can get it, Patrick, don't ever be ashamed of that. Mm-hmm. So tell us about that right now, um, Erica, how can people connect with you? So my telephone number is uh, 310-880-9761. Maybe we could put that in the chat. Uh, 310-880-9761. Drug dealers should not call. No. That's part of your past, right? Unless you want to be sober. If you want to get... (laughs) That's right. Don't... (laughs) I'll make sure sure it's in the... I'm going to pass that up. I'm sorry. So... My website is titled Art Speaks Out Loud. So it's www.artspeaksoutloud.org, O-R-G. And really, you can just type my name, Erica Scott, E-R-I-C-H-A-S-C-O-T-T. It's, uh, there's an H in Erica. And my website will pop up. So will social media. I've, I have Facebook. I have Twitter, I have LinkedIn and Instagram. You're all over. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Google Google this girl. She's got stuff everywhere. She's got oh. wonderful things to read. It, yeah, yeah, it's just Did really you worth it. Also, a medium at one point, Erica, or is that a different? <laughs> mm -hmm. I um, I am not usually public about that. Mm -hmm. Okay, then I will pretend but, I didn't ask it. Then let's. No, no, no. It's okay because uh, spirituality is very much an intuition mm -hmm. and um, intuitive. It, it's very much a part of my practice yeah. and I, I do have an intuitive uh, and I different spiritual mentors, I guess is what I would call it. Um, I've had some psychic experiences that defy uh, explanation uh, since I was a little girl, I think it's partly how I survived my family system. Mm -hmm. And so that's very much, and it's very congruent with the creative arts therapies. It's, there's a reason every religion has icons and symbols and art, uh, because I think it, it, it seems to open a door or a gateway to uh, how we want to connect with spirit. I'm, I'm in it, I am a certified uh, interfaith spiritual director and so whatever religion people bring in is fine. Okay. Um, wow. So I'm respectful of that. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, you're not, you're not alone in that, by the way. I, 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 used, to, I used to do the work of work, connecting people with their spirit guides, and, and I was a past mm -hmm. life therapist back in, the, back in the 80s and the 90s, and, I, and that stuff is all integrated into who I am today. And it's, it's, I'm not the same as I was then, but I, it's, it's all still part of me. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I, I've had clients spontaneously go to past lives. I'm like, wait, <laughs> but then I go, wait, I'll follow. <laughs> yeah, <we> yeah. <laughs> yeah you, you just go with them. That's right. That's what yeah. you do. <laughs> I, I realize we're neighbors now that you're, you're just over the hill. I'm over in Westlake Village. California. You are. Yes. I Very did. close. Very I had no close. idea. Yes. No, Cane and should... Road, straight shot over the, over the hill. Wow, so, you're you're very close. I'm very um, close now. I used to live in the South Bay for a long time, but you know, I've heard of you through the years. And you have, yes, okay. yes, yes. Yeah. I hope it's I've, good. I've worked. Mm -hmm. It's been very good. <laughs> you've, you've worked with a number of different treatment centers and mm -hmm. and stuff. Started a few. That's right. That's right. Mm -hmm. And and I was with Bill Rader. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if you know, remember William Rader, who started the Rader Institute. And before that, oh. he was really the first psychiatrist. To me, he was a pioneer in addiction psychiatry mm. and just brilliant man and, and had a program at San Pedro Peninsula Hospital, South Bay Hospital. Mm. So I knew all those groups, Jerry McDonald, mm. Judy, you know, you know, Jerry probably. I do. Right? Yeah, wonderful guy and, mm -hmm. and just so many great people out of that whole period of time. So, so awesome. yeah, so we've, we've kind of our lives have been in a parallel track. I've seen both of you. I was that drug way. dealer that you first dated. I was just starting to get into that when I got well. Thank God I got well at 19 because I, I, there was lots of stuff that would have happened in my life. I probably wouldn't be sitting here with you guys today if that, I, I didn't. So I've, not everybody survives it. Mm -hmm. 
But Alan, to be to be on the positive side, you would have sold a lot of drugs, though. I think you, you would. That. I you, you would have. I, I, I would have been one of those guys that the, the cartel would have to come over and find me. And, and I'd be out in the ocean with those, you know, Italian shoes, right? Those great, uh, with the fishes. With the yeah, cement with the blocks, right? He's swimming with the fishes. That's oh, right. Those blocks. Right. Um, it is so funny. My, you know, my, my mom's family came from Italy. So my mom was first oh generation Italian American. She had 14 brothers and sisters, 14. You Jesus. didn't even have to leave your family to be a drug dealer. <laughs> That's a good point. Very good, Erica. That's right. But I'll tell you. And, and they became like the chief of police in the Poconos and stuff. But the corruption was unbelievable. There was yeah. such a such a connection with all those folks, with the mob. And oh. I mean, it was such an interesting thing. I'd go out there to visit my cousins and stuff. And I swear to God, it was like a scene from Sopranos. Oh, my. <laughs> I mean, it was the same kind of deal going on. Lots of, lots of gabagool. Lots of gobble. Alan, you look so good. And one of the funniest things though, one time I'll never forget. So this was this, it was it was at my uh my aunt's house, Auntie Claire. And so about 40 cousins and nephews were coming and aunts and uncles and stuff, and they bought they rented the tables and they had tables of dessert and pasta and lasagna and all that other. And, and you walk in and, and my uncle uh, was there and he, they had, um, uh, um, I can't remember the kind of dog it was, uh, like a little schnauzer or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. But he was so anxious, they put him on Valium. Oh, no. And he had that wide gate because he couldn't <laughs> It was, it was hilarious to me. This little guy's loaded and he's trying to hold himself oh up by six, by moving his legs further apart, right? Like he's, like you see somebody does that's loaded. Oh, Toddlers like. and addicts. That's right. That's addicts. Exactly. Exactly. No different. All right, Tom, how do people hear about you? Uh, they just they could uh, they they still have stuff about me on my website uh, tomrutledge.com. I like Erica have an extra H in my name because we some of us just put extra H's in our yes. names. It's awesome. it's like there's, there's a lot of extra H's and, and some of us have, we 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 actually are rescuers. We rescue H's and we put them in our name and Tom that's right. <laughs> Hell, that's right. And uh, uh, just, you know, all kinds of stuff there, including uh, including some free downloads and all that stuff and, and all the information about my books that a uh, uh, couple of couple of them are good Christmas gifts. So, so uh, take a look at that and get your get your holiday shopping done on my website. So awesome. Yeah. There you go. That's right. That's right. I saw that you were mm -hmm. you're you're promoting the two books that you're promoting are great man i think that they're really my my, my the the client told me about my bathroom books your bathroom. she said she says you're a bathroom book writer i said well i i, said, I like to i like to call it a gift book she goes like well my husband didn't read it until i put it in his bathroom and she said then he read it and then he actually quoted from it and then he actually re referenced a page number so i decided well i'm just going to promote it as a bathroom book this year <laughs> see how it goes so yeah there you go all right. Well, people can learn about me at my website, which is pretty straightforward, www.abphd.com. But I just want to put a plug in that that um, Thursday night, we've been doing this emotional sobriety meeting uh, since COVID started. 
and Tom and Mary are alternating with me as we're going through the steps. And I just want to put a shout out to you, Tom, the work you did on these last two nights, these last two Thursdays, which everybody can go and listen to. Patrick is posting these on, um, on a YouTube channel. And um, it was just, I mean, you, you really brought so much to the discussion. So I just want to recognize. Thank you. Um, what, what an addition that you made on both of those nights. So you set a high bar for yourself, my friend. Well, that that means a lot to me because, as is you know, because it just does uh, coming from you. Because you, you know, I'll 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 stop babbling because that's just because I'm somewhat uncomfortable with the compliment. Uh, thank you. Yeah. Well, I I would like to pile on that compliment. Both of you are gracious, <laughs> lovely hosts. Thank you. You made it very oh, easy you. and fun and uh, flow. It flowed well, and I really appreciate it. I felt respected and. Thank you. Oh, absolutely. Glad Good. you're part, part of us now. We're and I look forward as this thing comes down, we'll have lunch. That would be awesome. Let's, mm -hmm. let's do that. Mm -hmm. It's, it's mm -hmm. overdue. Thanks yeah. so much, Erica. All right. Thanks, Take Erica. Care. See bye ya. It's a spiral, not a circle. Goes round, round, round. Before solutions, be your own friend. Never say never. Look in the mirror, the trust the reflection Deep in your heart, stop right here That's where it starts